Um, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to read Psalm 23, but again, it's pretty short, and we all have a bunch of different versions. So I'm going to have it on the screen so that we can read it together. I'm going to ask you to stand with me, and we're actually going to do the reading of the word together um, out loud, all together, and uh, it's, it's beautiful. You've maybe memorized it even in another translation or whatever, and, and they're all, there's some beautiful ones out there. But let's with, with one voice, right? Let's unite together in uh, repeating back this beautiful psalm, Psalm 23. So do this with me. The Lord is my shepherd. I have what I need. He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He renews my life. He leads me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even when I go through the darkest valley, I fear no danger, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Only goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord as long as I live. That's so beautiful. I actually have another translation up here. It's actually not a translation. It's a paraphrase called The Message. And I'm going to actually read this over you so you don't have to follow. You follow along, but you don't have to do it out loud. Uh, I want you to hear the words kind of in some fresh uh, language. God, my shepherd, I don't need a thing. You have bedded me down in, a, in lush meadows. You find me quiet pools to drink from. True to your word. You let me catch my breath and send me in the right direction. Even when the way goes through Death Valley, I'm not afraid. When you walk at my side, your trusty shepherd's crook makes me feel secure. You serve me a six-course dinner right in front of my enemies. You revive my drooping head. My cup brims with blessing. Your beauty and love chase after me every day of my life. I'm back home in the house of God for the rest of my life. So Lord, I pray that you would um, really um, stir our affections, maybe even more than our mind, that you would uh, stir our hearts and our affections toward you, Lord, as you draw near to us. Um, we want to responsively draw near to you in these moments. And so awaken us, Lord, and uh, by your spirit, guide us as we look into your precious word. And we pray in Christ's name, amen. amen. You may be seated. So over these um, few weeks that we're looking at the Psalms, you can see a pattern. We're picking some very, um, some, some ones that are really familiar to you. And that's intentional. What we're actually trying to do is is help all of us get some tools as to how to approach this whole book. There's 150 of these psalms, but maybe going over some, some well-trodden soil here with some of these more familiar ones, you'll get some steam up to be able to understand and have some tools to, to read on and, and uh, figure out how to read the rest of them. But it's interesting because as I've gone through Psalm 23, arguably one of the most familiar, not just psalms, one of the most familiar passages in the whole Bible, right? I have found it so fresh and so new, it, 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 is, it has been stirring me um, all week long, and I keep talking about it in every context that I'm in. 
Um, and I've thought about, I thought about this quote, and so I went ahead and found it. It's this quote by Gregory. I want you to see this um, way back, you know, before 600 AD. Scripture is like a river again, broad and deep, shallow enough even here for the lamb to go wading, but deep enough there for the elephant to swim. So this gets attributed to Augustine and all sorts of different people, and probably because other people did some version of this and wrote this or spoke this in other contexts. But the idea is this, that Gregory said, and others have repeated often, is that the Bible is this miraculous book that even if you stay just at the at the surface of things there's something even there for you right like like you could be a a child wading in it and splashing it and enjoying it and just right at the surface there's enough and it's delightful but if you spend enough time in it you find that there's a depth to it that you could swim in it and dive deep in it and still not come to the end of all that there is there right so the same passage of scripture by the way, the New Testament picks up this, this same kind of idea, and it's both meat as well as milk. Like the same text can be for an infant satisfying like, as if milk, but also thick meat that you have to tear into. Like, so that's what I'm saying about Psalm 23. There are some things right on the surface, and if you've never read it before, not, not familiar at all with it, there's going to be some beautiful things right there for you to delight in. If you've read this psalm a hundred times, there's going to be a depth to it that I hope that your soul will, will find rekindling all over again, right? So, so the depth, as we go to the psalms, is not often, at least, an intellectual depth. It's more of like an emotional depth. It's more of a, an ability to train our souls to meditate deeply, Okay? So what I'm saying is we're not going to dissect this psalm in the same way that maybe we would the book of Romans or something where we're trying to figure out every, you know, technically every word and how it it all fits together. No, no, no. The psalms are not quite like that. They're more poetic and and it's to train us how to meditate deeply, not necessarily dig deeply as in study, okay? So there's two images in this psalm. We're going to look at both of those images and again, rather than dissecting them, we're just going to sit back almost like, imagine it being like... Um, maybe if you're an art gallery or something, and we're just going to stand in front of this thing and just stare at it really long. And especially if you have somebody that's maybe an art history major or whatever standing beside you, and they're able to say, oh man, look at this. This is amazing how they did this. And you're like, oh, wow, that's beautiful. Okay, so I want to play the role, not so much as you've never seen this before, but maybe somebody that spent a little bit more time in it and just be like, oh, sweet, look at that, look at that. And And I hope that as we do that together, uh, you'll stand in, in wonder and amazement. So the first uh, word picture, the first image, is that of a good shepherd. Let me just read those few verses again, even though we've read them a couple times already. It's worth it, okay? The Lord is my shepherd. I have what I need. He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me be- beside quiet waters. He renews my life. He leads me along the right paths for his namesake. And even when I go through the darkest valley, I fear no danger, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. One of the first observations that I want you to just kind of marvel at is that even the psalmist, as he's penning these words, has a growing awareness of God's nearness. There's a growing awareness of God's nearness. And here's what I mean by that. 
he starts off writing in third person. The Lord, he is my shepherd. By third person, here's what we mean. Um, if I speak in first person, it's I. If I'm talking to somebody, that's second person. If we talk about speaking in third person, that means I'm talking to you about somebody out there, like him out there. So on the, fir- on the front end of this psalm, the Lord is my shepherd. I'm talking to you about him out there. And then all of a sudden, seamlessly, he switches and he starts talking second person. Look at that. He goes from, hey, let me tell you about my Lord, my shepherd. But you know what? I go through the darkest valley and you are with me. Isn't that pretty cool? Like this growing seamless. It's awkward. Like you think, wait, weren't you talking to me? Who are you talking to? But, but he's just seamlessly telling us about the Lord. And suddenly his gaze just goes right to the Lord. And he starts talking right to the Lord. It's almost like he has this growing awareness as he is penning these words of the nearness of God. I love that. Another way you can see that is that the Lord goes from this shepherd figure, goes from leading him out front, okay, I'm following you, to all of a sudden, he's right beside him, right? As you go through the psalm, there's the shepherd leading me, guiding me, and all of a sudden, you're right next to me. You're right near me. Isn't that beautiful? So that's what he's trying to do for you as the reader, is what he's experiencing is this drawing close to the Lord. He's, he's getting really close, right? near us. And, and frankly, here's the deal, guys, with that. Both of those positionings of the Lord are really comforting, right? In other words, sometimes I'm going to take great comfort that the Lord is out in front of me. Like, I want to know that he's guiding me because his eyes can see what I can't yet see. He knows what I don't yet know. And so I, I love knowing that like a, a centurion or something, he's out in front. He, he's able to go beyond my scope, my scale. And so I love knowing that he's there. And then all of a sudden, I go from, you know, thinking, oh man, I'm so glad that he is sovereign and he's unsurprised by whatever's coming because he's already seen it before he gets to me or whatever. I go from glorying that he's out front to then being so glad that he, not he, you are near me, Right? There's a comfort in knowing that he's out there, and there's a comforting part of, Lord, you being near me that are both sweet to my soul. And and in both those positions, there's a sweetness to his presence that that I really... And there's this correlation there, okay? Because as a follower of Christ, a follower of God, as I keep following him and knowing that he's out there and and uh, like obeying him, obeying his, hey, we're going over here now, we're going over here. So as I keep my focus ahead on watching him, obeying him, then when all of a sudden I need him, I, my eye is so fixed, his presence right near me is so quick, so like spontaneous, right, that, that it's so seamless in my own life. Because every day, it's not like every day you open your Bible and have this, oh, just magnificent experience of his presence. Sometimes you're just following him, right? And getting to know him and following his ways. And that's good and that's right. And then in that moment of crisis, in that moment where you really need him, because you've had your eyes trained on him, wham, his presence is so, like, easy, right? And, and there, right at hand. So I just want to say, even, even on that opening, like, kind of visual of what he gives us, 
I just want to say we should learn the lesson of the psalmist, and that is to practice training our eyes on Jesus in the day-to-day, and that's going to allow him to be right at your side when you need him most, okay? Having a habitual just following him out in front, it's, it's going to bring him near really quick in that, in that moment of need. Okay, another like observation is we're just sitting here gazing at Psalm 23 a little bit, is that the cool thing is the psalm is in present tense. The Lord is my shepherd right here, right now. Now, these observations are so like low-hanging fruit. You're like, did I come all the way here for you to point out the most obvious things? Yes, you did. Okay, so um, why am I fascinated by the fact that it's in present tense? Here's why. So when I was growing up, small-town kid, small-town community, um, I went to a ton of funerals, okay? Like, funerals were like a regular part of life because we knew everybody in town, everybody that died, I knew them, I was related to them, whatever, right? So, here's the deal. The only time, I think, honestly, the only time I heard Psalm 23 was at funerals. It was like the funeral psalm. And if you've been to loved ones who have it, I'm not dissing anybody. It's a beautiful psalm. Have it at funerals, right? But in my mind, I've always just kind of had this category of Psalm 23 being like a funeral psalm. I just kind of, you know, had that growing up. And what I'm saying is, it is a real bummer that we've relegated it to funeral psalm because we almost think of it as something talking about just heaven for someday. And I'm telling you, Psalm 23 isn't about just bringing us comfort about someday out there, heaven, whatever. In fact, Honestly, I don't think he's talking about heaven throughout the whole thing, even at the very end. I don't think he is. I think he's talking about his presence right here, right now. So the fact that he writes it in the present tense is beautiful for me because the reality is, guys, I am at any given point in some green pasture and walking by quiet waters, and then it, it just seems like, wham, I'm slammed into a dark valley right here, right now. Like, that's all part of my life story. And I don't know when one's coming and one's going. It just kind of, all of a sudden, right? And it can kind of take your breath away. It can shock you when all of a sudden life seems so placid and so calm and so kind of as it should be. And wham, you get slammed with something. It like takes your breath away, right? We talk about that phrase, it takes your breath away because you're like, <gasps> right? You're like, and you forget to breathe. Like, <gasps> what's going on? I, I was just talking to a guy uh, this week. Um, a friend here at Veritas, and life was going along great. They had relocated to the Iowa City area and getting their kids all adjusted, and it just seemed like, ah, this is sweet. We're in a sweet season. And wham, his wife was diagnosed with cancer. And suddenly there's surgeries and there's treatments, and their whole life, everything about their life has changed. Like wham. And as we're sitting there, I mean, we're talking just very openly, and he's a real kind of gregarious guy, so he's talking, talking, and all of a sudden, it's like he's starting to talk about that, and, and he like had to stop, he had to pause, and his eyes are getting all wet, and tears started coming, and he can't even talk for a while, right? Because out of nowhere, you're just going along, and wham, bam, you're just in a valley, right here, right now. And this psalm isn't to give us comfort that someday God's going to be with us, and someday it's all going to work out. No, he is here with us, right here, right now. In fact, you guys, here's what I love, that, that in verse 3 where it says, he renews my life. Some of your translations have a different kind of phrase there. Often that's the, something like that is the way that it's translated. I think it's a little bit unfortunate. 
who am I, Mr. Hebrew scholar here? I'm not, but, but the Hebrew is actually, he restores my breath. He restores my breath. Um, and, and in Hebrew ways of thinking, breath is life, right? So that's why they translate it that way. But I think it's actually, unfortunately, I think it's actually more like what the message does. He gives me the chance to catch my breath. That's what I think he's saying. Like, you get hit with this, and you're like, <gasps> and he's like, let me breathe again. Let me take a de- deep breath, right? He, he brings my breath back to me. He renews my breath. Guys, what this psalm is trying to convince us of, and we've got to believe it deep in our souls, that's why he, he's painting such a beautiful picture for us. He is guiding us and leading us every bit as much when we're by the quiet waters and in the green meadows as when all of a sudden we're slammed into a dark valley. And in fact, he will draw nearer often in that dark valley. But here's our problem. We can actually, we're really skilled at forgetting about God's presence. We can forget him in both contexts. So there's a passage that I'll have on the screen for you. It's from the book of Hosea. Hosea 13, and it says this. It says, I have been the Lord your God. Ever since the land of Egypt, you know no God but me, and no Savior exists besides me. I knew you in the wilderness, in the land of drought. Now, I just want to stop there at that period, because look what he's talking about. He's talking about Egypt. He's talking about wilderness. He's talking about drought, and he's saying, you know what? In all those really dark times, in those dark valleys, I was with you. Remember? I was the one leading. I was the one valiantly in, uh, uh, fighting back your enemy. I was the one giving you drink when you were thirsty. I was the one with you, and you, you knew that I was there in the wilderness, in the drought, in Egypt. And then look at, but when we got through all that, when they had pasture, they became satisfied. They were satisfied, and their hearts became proud. Therefore, they forgot me. You guys... Jose, I think, adds kind of a Psalm 23 upside-down way of looking at this is it's actually sometimes in the dark valleys that we really are aware of his presence and we're clinging to him and looking to him. And it's after we get through that and we're back by the quiet waters and the big, beautiful meadows that all of a sudden we forget the Lord, right? All of a sudden we don't need him. We're not crying out to him. Here's what Psalm 23 and Jose, here's what I'm trying to bring to you guys. We have to practice the presence of Jesus in all the above. He has led you to that quiet place. And when you're in that quiet place, Christian, here's what I'm saying. When you're in that quiet place, don't all of a sudden kick back and be like, sweet, life is good. No, you should every day be like, Lord, thank you. Look at these quiet waters. Look at this meadow. Look at what you've done. I am grateful because I know you brought me here. What do I have that you did not give me? Life, breath, everything else, it's all yours. And that way also you've practiced his presence so that then when you get to the valley, you're so aware of his presence because you've been talking to him the whole time by the quiet waters, right, that he's near you as well. And then when you get through that valley, you've been talking to him so much, you're back like, wow, God, you brought me through. And here we are again, back to the quiet waters, right? Practice the presence of God in all the above. So the last observation I want to make about that first word picture there of the Lord as the good shepherd is this. I thank you guys. Um, memorizing Psalm 23, 1 
might be one of the most significant things you can do for your Christian life. Now, memorizing the whole psalm would be awesome. If you did nothing but memorize, the Lord is my shepherd, I have what I need. And if you repeated that beautiful truth back to yourself over and over, whether you're by the quiet waters or in the dark valley, wherever you are, it would be transforming. You know, several weeks ago, we've been on this, this kick, right? All of us up here been on this kick to try to coax you guys, goad you guys into reading your Bibles, right? And I remember Ryan saying, man, if, if this could be the year, 2020, when Veritas Church was known as the kind of church where we really believed our Bibles, we really read our Bibles and acted on our Bibles and lived out our Bibles, what a transforming thing that would be for us and for our whole community and to the ends of the earth, right? Here's what I'm saying. If you started tucking some of these truths into your heart and soul, memorizing Psalm 23.1, transforming, transforming. Okay, he changes imagery, changes pictures really radically right in the middle of the psalm. And, and if you're not looking for it, you might just keep thinking he's talking about shepherding. He's not at all. Look what he does when we get to verse 5. Rapidly, it's almost like cut, boom, a whole new like picture pops up in front of you. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. So in order to kind of jar all of us into a, a new imagery of facing an enemy and having a banquet put in front of me, I thought, I want an image, I want a picture of, of facing enemy lines. So I'm trying to Google different things to get me enemy lines. You guys, I am not even joking. You can't make this stuff up. Look at one of the first images that popped up on Google. <laughs> no, I am serious. Like, how facing enemy lines. So... This is back from 2017 when it looked like the Hawks were going to beat Penn State, and Penn State was ranked number four, and about a minute left, Iowa was going to win the game, and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, Penn State comes back, and in a walk-off touchdown, like right then, scores, no time left to do anything, so Iowa goes down, and so as I'm Googling, facing enemy lines, or whatever, the, like, that picture comes up. I'm like, what are the chances? You know what that means? A bunch of you Hawk fans out there are like Googling enemy lines in Penn State, whatever. I don't know how Google works, but you created that to be one of the top pictures. Is that crazy? Anyway, let's get off that. That was just fun for me. Let's go to the next one. <laughs> I thought, that's what I was looking for. Okay. So probably one of the most overused movie illustrations of all time is Braveheart. Okay, so um, that's what this is from. But here's, here's the reason that I think it's still, I'm going to use it again, um, mocking all those preachers out there that always talk about Braveheart as I do it. Um, this is what war looked like in ancient times. There were no drones doing the work of war. You could see your enemy's eyes, right? Like this is what it would have looked like as David was imagining you bring out a banqueting table right in the face of my enemies. So here's what I want you to imagine. How afraid would you be in that moment? I don't care how, you know, what kind of warrior you are, you're looking across a very short distance at the people who are there for one reason, to kill you, okay? You, you'd have to be insane not to have some level of fear. And so there you are, you're ready, and you're ready to go into battle, but you're, you know, you're pumped up, and your adrenaline flowing in fear, and all, of sudden, and all of a sudden, like, hey, hold on, hold on, and some dude brings out a banqueting table right in front of you, okay? So just imagine the absurdity. The psalmist is starting to shock you into this trip. Right in the presence of my enemies, all of a sudden, like, 
you know, whatever. Hey, come on. I want you. And, and there's this table right in front of me. And it's prepared for me. Don't lose this. Prepared for me. Like, okay, what would be, if, if somebody prepared a banqueting table for you, what would be on that table? Would it, would it be some beautiful steak? Would it be salmon? Would it be lobster? I don't know. What would, you know, now meat lovers. Okay, for some of you that are, you know, more plant-based, would it be, I don't know what it'd be. Have it on your table, though. But vegetables and fruit and whatever that is. You know what I'm saying? Like, just imagine right now your mo- goulash. I don't care. The most incredible meal that you can imagine wherever you're coming from, right? There you are at the most terrifying moment of your life. Hey, come on. And, and, and there's your buddy, your best friend, your loyal friend. The second picture is not good shepherd. It's loyal friend. Your most loyal friend knows you're afraid, knows you're about to go into the most terrifying moment of your life. He's like, here, bring the chair. And you're like setting your spear down, you know, and your shield on, you're sitting down. And, and then all of a sudden, look at that, that picture of, of oil coming down on his head, this, this idea. So probably uh, the Israelites would have had black, like it was really kind of culturally uh, a mark of true Jewishness to have black, thick hair. Think Absalom, right? Um, think Samson, long black hair, but because they're rugged and out there and they don't bathe a lot, right? It's got stuff in it, leaves, whatever, you know, like it's, it's pretty rough looking. And so now imagine you're sitting there and this isn't, this isn't, don't think anoint my head with oil as in some sacred thing, like at the temple. No, no, no. This is luxurious. This is like spa treatment, okay? You're sitting at the table and suddenly there's oil coming down, right? I mean, like, I don't know about my head, but I know like my beard, for instance, this gets really nasty when it gets this long. And so you got to put oil and stuff in it, right? To kind of call, hey, hey, calm down in there, right? So that's like, just think the oil. In fact, Psalm 133 talks about that, like oil coming down the head and through the beard and all over the cloak, like, like tons of it. In fact, my cup is sitting there and it's like, I just barely take a drink and there's, there's my buddy filling it back up. In fact, he gets so excited, he's talking to me. He's like, oh, it's spilling over all over the table because he's like, oh, we're never going to run out. Have as much as you want. It's never going to run out. Here's this unbelievable, lavish moment right in front of me in the darkest moment of my life. Lord, you're like the most loyal friend I can imagine because only the most loyal of friends would have known where you were and how afraid you were. Only the most loyal of friends would have known exactly what to put on that table to like bring you calm, to bring you comfort. Only the most loyal friend would show up in the darkest moment to come right alongside you and give you everything you need and just lavish you with their presence, right? Running to you in the most frightening moment of your life. If you've got a friend like that, man, what a blessing, what a, a gift. But I, I want you to not lose the fact who is the friend that he's describing in Psalm 23? It's the Lord. It's like Jesus is the one that is your friend coming to you in that moment. So in ancient times, to eat and drink at someone's table was, it was to signify a bond of loyal friendship. Share my table with me. Share my table. Come. I want to. This is a, an expression of my passionate, loyal friendship 
a bond that we share together, and it's the Lord himself who's saying, come share my table. I'm going to bring the table to you. That's how much I want you in my presence. And that's why he says, wow, only goodness and faithful love will pursue me, pursue me, like chase after me. That's even the way the the message, it's not like we'll always be there kind of dawdling behind. No, goodness and faithful love are chasing me. And and I'm running sometimes, and it's right on my, it's chasing me down. I can't escape. Hey, there I am in the most terrifying moments, and there's his faithful love right there, right in front of me, right? God's goodness, God's faithful love keeps chasing me down, even in scary places, every day for the rest of my life. I love that as long as I live in the here and now. Of course, we experience lavish presence in heaven, but I don't think that's what he's talking about. Right here, right now, every day of my life, I'm going to find God's loving kindness, his goodness, his faithful love chasing me down. So here is the beautiful thing about this psalm. It must have been so epic um, that even Jesus picks up on this very psalm And just brings it home to us. If you've got a Bible, go with me to the book of John and chapter 10. Okay, John 10. I want you to see this. Psalm 23, the good shepherd in Psalm 23, my loyal friend, my faithful loyal friend. In John 10, here's what Jesus says to all of us. In John 10, verse 11, he says, I am the good shepherd picking up imagery right out of Psalm 23 and applying it to himself. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Okay, that's taking Psalm 23 to a whole nother level. Now it's not just protecting me or whatever, but even the best of shepherds back in the Old Testament, like, like they're not going to die for that sheep. Like, they're going to be in there. They're going to be crazy. They're going to try to protect those things. But, man, if it comes to either losing my life or that sheep's life, okay, I'm tapping out, right? Take it, lion. You know, that's yours. But here's here's Jesus saying, I... And so good, like extraordinarily good as a shepherd, I'm going to throw my life down. I'm going to lay down my life for the sheep. And that brings me such security when you drop all the way down to verse 27. He says this, you know what? My sheep hear my voice. They understand I am Psalm 23. They understand what I'm doing for them. They hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they will never perish no one will snatch them out of my hand. Like if I have bought them, who's going to take them away from me? If I have got them securely, how will they ever get insecure? Who's going to topple me? Who's going to best me? No one. You are so safe. You are so secure because the shepherd has laid down his life for you and now you are held so securely in his hand. It brings us comfort. It brings us peace. And then get this, not only is he the most extraordinary of good shepherds, Flip a couple chapters to chapter 13. And the way that our loyal friend throws out a table in front of us in Psalm 23, what happens in John 13? John 13, it was before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world. You know, that's an understatement. How is he going to depart from this world? Through the cross. Through the excruciating moment of the cross. He knows that's coming. He's to depart from the world to the Father, having loved his own who are in the world. He's now going to show them the full extent of his love. How does he show them the full extent of his love? 
He throws out a banqueting table. He throws out the table right in the presence of who's sitting there at the table. Who is mentioned next as sitting at the table? Judas. Judas, the very enemy that is about to turn him over to be crucified. And even in the presence of his enemies, he throws out the banqueting table. And he does more than just pour oil over their heads. What's he do in John 13? Washes their feet. This is taking Psalm 23 to a whole nother level. Not just lavishing them with a meal, but scrubbing their dirty feet in an act of pure, selfless love. It's, it takes your breath away when you recognize that Psalm 23 is this huge arrow just pointing us to the beauty of Jesus Christ. It's also extraordinary that then he set in motion that we, here in Iowa, a couple thousand years later, would still celebrate our good shepherd and loyal friend by coming to a table, by coming to a banqueting table. To be able to lift the cup, to take the bread and realize, oh, Jesus, this is a commemoration of who you are and what you have done for me. And so as we prepare to take communion, here's what I want you to do. I want you to close up your Bibles and, and just kind of get into a posture of prayer. And I want to read over you Psalm 23 again. And our, our uh, worship team is going to come and join us. And we're going to have communion together and worship. But will you bow in prayer as I read this now? With Jesus in mind, okay? The Lord, Jesus, you're my shepherd. And that's why I have what I need. You've given it all. I have all that I need. He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. Jesus, thank you for times of peace and rest and flourishing. He renews my life. Jesus, there's times I'm not even breathing. Yeah, I, I, the gut punch, the shock, and you give me breath. And you lead me along the right paths for your namesake, Jesus. And even when I go through the darkest of valleys, I'm not going to fear danger because, Jesus, you are with me. No longer just out front, you're right there beside me, and your rod and your staff, they comfort me. More than that, Lord, now it's not a rod and a staff, it's the cross that comforts me. The cross, you bore my cross. What comfort that brings to me. And now you prepare a table before me, even in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. You wash my feet, and now my cup overflows, and surely your goodness and your faithful love is going to keep chasing me and chasing me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord as long as I live. And now what I know, Jesus, is forever and ever and ever. Jesus, thank you for being my good shepherd and my loyal friend. We celebrate you, Jesus. Amen. So we're going to celebrate communion, the banqueting table. So as you prepare your heart and are ready to just, yeah, enjoy 
what Jesus has done for you. Just come to one of the tables. There's even a gluten-free one in the back there by the sound booth. And, and this is what we do as a, as a family. We just take from the bread and dip it in the cup. And the whole time, rehearse in your heart, Jesus, you've done it all. You have loved me so deeply. I feel the security of your presence, and I celebrate you now. Let's do that in honor and in worship of Jesus.